0: Thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far and has helped make 52 Weeks of Hustle such a success. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. I'm excited to have joined General Sports Worldwide, where Lou DePauly and I will be focusing on executive search and team consulting. Our services will range from recruiting, onboarding, training, development, business planning, consulting, and much more. We're really looking to be a full service agency for our clients to assist them in their return on investment and return on energy. Please let me know if you have any interest. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to be an elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com as well as to follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host to this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business or for those that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career growth, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. Take the time to think about your first sports memory. Is that why you ended up with the passion to work in this business? Our next guest had that first memory come out one of the first times he ever came to the United States and has now had a very successful career in this industry. I'm excited to have John Bevan, Executive Vice President of Ticket Sales and Service for the Golden State Warriors. John, welcome to the show. Travis, I really appreciate you having me. Good to be here. John, very excited to dive into your career with the Warriors. And let's start at the beginning of your life. You grew up in England for the first five years of your life with a younger brother and a half sister. And one of your first sports memories is getting off an airplane, heading to Central Park with your dad and playing catch as a kid. So walk us through that time and how that helps solidify your passion for sports.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as you can obviously tell by my accent, I was actually born in England, Um, so I I lost that quickly and now wish I I still had it. But um, (laughs) yeah, sports has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. Uh, And as you just alluded to, I know we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, One of the first memories I have, we we flew from England to New York to, to move to the United States when I was five years old. Um, and I was insistent with both of my parents that the first thing we do when we got off the airplane uh, was go to Central Park and, and play game of catch. So we literally took our bags. So we hadn't even gotten to the place where we were going to be staying, went out to the park and, and played. And That was something consistent through my childhood. Uh, any free moment I got, any time we had a chance to do an activity, it was it was go out to the park, uh, play catch. Baseball was my sport growing up um but it's just been for whatever reason something deeply rooted within who I am and what I love to do uh, and I've carried carried that forward ever since
0: now an interesting fact about you is that you not only have one but two but actually three citizenships and the US was the last one re- you received as you had England and then both your parents were born and raised in New Zealand and so you know as you talked about you spent the majority of your time you know, here in in America what were some do you have any early remembrances of, of growing up in, in England the first five years
1: yeah I just have uh, a couple of kind of snapshot memories um, you know, I, I remember being out on a big field uh, playing soccer actually uh, which which I ne- I actually never played once I moved to the United States <laughs> um, I remember being at a softball game with my dad uh, early on I, I don't know why he was in a softball league how he was in the softball league but I remember being there. Um, and little kind of snapshot memories like that. But by and large, my life's been spent in the United States, first in New York and then Sacramento, where, where I consider home. Um, but I, I was very fortunate early in my life, as you mentioned, both my parents from New Zealand. So I got to travel quite a bit. Uh, and experience the world and certainly feel I'm better for it.
0: Now, staying with the family theme, John, we recently passed the 20th anniversary of nine 11 and your father, Alan was aboard United flight 93, which is a fourth plane to be hijacked that day. And the only plane that spared additional casualties after the passengers attempted to take back control of the cockpit and, now, I know this had to be devastating for you and, and mine, and all of our listeners' hearts go out to you and your family and everyone else that was involved. And John, as you reflect back on that time, how has that motivated you in life to evaluate your father's legacy?
1: Yeah. And, and Travis, first, I, I appreciate the kind words. Uh, we obviously just passed the the 20th anniversary of, of the 9 11 attacks. And, um, you know, I feel incredibly fortunate to have had the the childhood that I I did, um, you know, didn't come from uh, incredible means, but had a loving family. And even after my parents separated, my dad was intentional about being a part of my life growing up, uh, which, you know, I I think you don't realize until you're older how important that is um, and, and how impactful it can be. And, um, you know, he always supported my passions and, and wanted me to become the best version of myself, supported uh, my, my dreams of, of being a professional baseball player, uh, even though he had never played the game himself, uh, you know, didn't grow up following baseball whatsoever. But um, he really wanted to ensure that I was following what I wanted to do and, and following my dreams. And that was important to him. So I think what I learned from him uh, and what, what I really tried to carry forward um, you know, he, he would always look out for others before he looked out for himself. Uh, and I think that's something that I've tried to, to really embrace um, in my everyday life. Uh, and then and then living life and leading with compassion, uh, just showing empathy for others and really trying to understand everyone's unique perspective and and the, the place they're coming from. Uh, and I think that that served me really well.
0: Now you being a father of two, how did going through that experience really shape who you are as a dad and, and a mentor?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know it's funny. I I sit here now. Um, you know, I'm spending time with my my seven year old son in particular, uh, who, who's growing older, and um, I can see a lot of how my dad fathered me uh, in the way I father father my son, and and really it comes down to being present um, and, and being intentional with my time with him and. Really doing what I can in my place as his dad to kind of show him the right path, but also to to try and push him towards happiness and do the things that he really enjoys and loves and and trying to help him become the best version of of who he is. So, um, you know, again, I feel really lucky to have had the experience that I did. Um, you know, I wish he were here now to, to see this incredible family that, that, that I have and that we have as kind of a Bevan clan. Yep. Um, but I know he's down there. He, he's up there looking down on us, um, smiling because we've got you know, wonderful kids uh, who are happy, healthy uh, and trying to be the best versions of themselves.
0: Absolutely. And, and certainly appreciate that, John. And now this tragic day occurred while you're attending UC San Diego, playing baseball, studying biology you care to share what you remember of that day?
1: Yeah, I was um, I was actually over in Australia at the time, uh, but for about a month. Um, and I got a we were actually watching, uh, believe it or not, uh, Seinfeld reruns. Okay, it was late at night, um, and I got the you know news flashed in. Plane hit the first tower, um, and then it went back to regular programming. And you, you think kind of tragic accident. Don't don't think much about it. Uh, A little while later, uh, new splash comes back in, second plane hitting the tower. And and from that point forward, it carried it. So I was watching, I think, as the rest of probably the country and the world, not really uh, fully appreciating the implication of what we were seeing uh, and certainly not thinking that I would be personally impacted by it. Uh, And it wasn't until probably two or three o'clock in the morning, Australian time, I got a phone call from my mom uh, to let me know that we didn't have details yet, but it was likely that. My dad was on one of the planes uh, and that was about all the information that we had. So at that point, I was just trying to get gather any information. It was, you know, pre uh, pre Internet for for the most part. Uh, So it was really hard to gather news and information. All planes had been grounded. Uh, I remember the next morning waking up, going and buying every newspaper I could just trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, we had found out that it was the plane, the fourth plane, as you mentioned, that went down in Pennsylvania. Uh, so all the focus, as it rightfully should have initially, was on what happened in New York and Washington, D.C. And I just couldn't get information. And I was in a, on the other side of the world. So I was over there for another week uh, until airlines opened back up and I could get back uh, back to the U.S. And then as the story came out about Flight 93 and the fact that the passengers had, had learned uh, what their fate was and decided to take matters into their own hands and, and fight back, um, you know, tremendous sense of pride for, for what my father uh, was a part of, obviously a tremendous sense of grief. Yep. Um, but also knowing that he had, um, you know, he had taken a stand and ensured that others uh, wouldn't lose their lives. Um, you know, it's something that I feel, uh, a a tremendous amount of gratitude for, for him. And and I think it reflects the way he lived his life and the kind of person he was. Uh, and that's certainly, uh, helped, uh, withstand the test of time.
0: No, John, and certainly really appreciate your vulnerability and that certainly shows just the type of person you are and you've become. And now there was certainly a strange twist of fate that came with that as your father's death introduced you to the golden state warriors, in the aftermath of 9/11, the team hosted your family for a day of remembrance at a game, which, unbeknownst to you at the time, opened the door to the organization that's become your home for your entire career. So, walk the listeners through that experience.
1: Yeah, um, it's you know happenstance, and and I'm a big believer uh, in life. Things happen for a reason. Um, so, so the Warriors in their in their uh, infinite generosity reached out to our family um, a couple of months after September 11th, early in the 0102 season um, to do a, a fundraiser for our family. So we we attended the game. Uh, I remember sitting in, in, in on the floor. Uh, I actually think my only time I've ever sat on the floor for an NBA game <laughs> Um, and they did a check presentation for us before the game. Antoine Jamison, gener- generous enough to donate some money to our family. Um, and, and through that experience, we got to meet some of the folks on the business side of the Warriors. Uh, and we stayed in touch with them. Uh, my stepmom, Kimmy, became good friends with Travis Stanley, who at the time uh, oversaw the, the marketing group for the Warriors. Uh, and that ended up being my my intro to the organization and, and my foot in the door, so to speak.
0: That's awesome. And the introduction, you know, certainly came at a perfect time for you. You're a pitcher, you played a bit in the Tampa Bay organization, but however you end up having some some health issues and ultimately surgery. So when did you know that the business side was going to be the right fit for you?
1: Yeah, it's funny, Travis. I I didn't uh, literally until the day I, I started the job. So um, I, knew, I knew that I wanted to be uh, around sports for whatever my professional career looked like. Initially, it was Dreams and aspirations of playing. Um, you know, I, I got hurt. Ultimately, had surgery. Probably the best thing that could happen to me because now that I can take my ego out of it, I was maybe good enough to play for a few years in the minor leagues. Was not good enough to, to play professional at the professional uh, major league level. Uh, so it kickstarted my life, um, but I didn't really know what opportunities were, were out there. I thought that everything on uh, sports was on the athlete side of things, which is why I majored in biology thinking maybe orthopedic surgery, maybe physical therapy, um, working with athletes. Um, but I was under the naive, uh, impression that you you roll the ball out there, fans show up and the games happen, uh, not understanding this huge complex, um, you know, mechanism that's behind the scenes, putting on games. So, uh, I reached out to Travis who, who I mentioned earlier, uh, when I realized my playing career was done to see if I was down in San Diego to see if he could put me in touch with someone down there for an informational interview. Yep. Uh, and he let me yep. know they were actually hiring for a sales position up at Golden State. Uh, I should consider coming up and, and giving it a shot. So that's exactly what I did. Um, so I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, I took the job thinking it would be a temporary opportunity. What I fi- while I figured out what I was really going to do with my life, yep. uh, you know, and 18, 19 years later, here we are.
0: Now, now quickly going back to the, the baseball days, Were you uh, a hard thrower, a junk ball pitcher? What was the go-to? Yeah,
1: so yeah, so I was I was a right-handed pitcher, uh, which was my first mistake. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. should 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 have been born a lefty.
0: Yeah, got to tie Um, that left hand or right hand behind your back growing up.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I threw I threw hard, but not big league hard. I could I could get high 80s, low 90s, uh, and then developed a split finger fastball, which which ended up being my my quote unquote pitch. So, um, you know, it it was. it wasn't meant to be.
0: Yeah. Well, now you had some injuries. Do you now are you back? Can you play softball or anything like that at all, or you've just given up the, that dream?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I try and stay active. I played softball uh, when I was when I was younger. Now with with how busy things are at work and, and certainly with family, yep. uh, time time is the most valuable commodity, and, and that's not something that I spend a lot of my time doing. Nor do I think my body would want me <laughs> to do at this point. So. Uh, I have I have officially hung them up,
0: Hug them up. Well, you know, going back to you, little did you know that informational interview was going to embark on this career journey, this amazing career you've had with the Golden State Warriors. And you mentioned you started out as an account executive. What were some key learnings that you went through early on in your sales career?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned, Travis, I really didn't
0: know what I was getting myself into.
1: Um, and, and I think, you know, I I always was a hard worker, uh, which I think. Only reinforced itself as I got into the job and realized that you know you, you want to control the controllables. Uh, there, there's a lot in sales, a lot in life, that happens that's outside of your control. You can't get caught up in that part of it, uh, but but focus on the things you can control and try to do them as well as you can. So I think that was reinforced for me early in my selling career. I think a second one is, you know, really master your craft. Uh, Make sure that you're an expert on your product. Uh, Make sure that you can speak the language. Make sure that you believe in what you're selling. Uh, But become a master of your craft, regardless of how big or small that is, Um, because you are the vehicle that's going to make whatever you're doing successful. Um, And and you need to you need to be an expert in it and believe in it. So I think that's important too. And then I think the last thing, and and this is something that I learned early and I've really tried to carry through, uh, but it's find ways to broaden your impact. Um, You know, there's you have have the job description that's on the piece of paper. um, and, And in the case of a salesperson, you're trying to sell season tickets, partial plans, et cetera. But how else can you impact the organization in a positive way? Um, and if you try and find ways to do that on a repeated basis, good things happen. Good things happen for the organization. And by virtue of that, good things happen for you as well. Um, so I would say it, it was really that. It was, you know, work, work as hard as you possibly can, uh, control the Um, try and become the best version of, of, of yourself and what you're doing, uh, and then try to broaden your impact as much as you can.
0: Oh, great, great advice. And, and certainly you've taken that and, and run with it. And, you know, even along those lines, John, many of the listeners, especially some of our younger listeners are probably sitting there thinking, wow, you know, the Warriors have been so good. What an easy sell. And, and however, that certainly hasn't always been the case. And, and, you know, John, any idea your first nine years of your career, what your overall record was?
1: So I have no idea what that answer is. Hopefully you can tell me. I will tell you that uh, I joined the organization in the midst of a one uh, one playoff berth in 18 year run, which, for any of your listeners that are statistical uh, geniuses out there, in a league where more than half the team can make the playoffs <laughs> here, that's really, really difficult to do. Um, yeah, the struggle so we, was real. Yeah, the struggle was definitely
0: real. Well, well don't worry. I, I did a little quick research. Your first nine years, The team only had a winning record twice, made the playoffs once as the team went a combined 309 and 413. And so as you think back at that time, what did you and the team do on such a consistent basis to still have so much success? When you even talked about the controllables, you weren't controlling wins and losses.
1: Yeah, I I think it was exactly that, Travis. Uh, I think we realized early on and I think um, it's benefited us through the, the recent success that we've had. Uh, you can't be solely reliant on what happens on the court because we flat out couldn't couldn't be. We we would have all been out of jobs. So um, you know we would try and focus on the little wins. I think when when your team isn't going to be the, the the focal piece, what else is? Uh, we can still deliver an exceptional experience. We still have incredible athletes coming through the building every night, um, and we can still create an environment where fans can come, build relationships, build their business, um, and really enjoy. Uh, a three-hour escape from from their life, uh, and all of that's consistent regardless of what's happening on the court. So I think you know we actually I, I actually feel um, really fortunate to have gone through some of those challenging times uh, because I think it set the foundation and set the baseline level for some of the things that we knew we would need to do regardless of success on the court. And and candidly. Um, you know, we felt like we had ourselves positions, you know, especially when Joe Lake and Peter Gruber purchased the team, um, everyone felt like this market was, was a sleeping giant. uh, that just needed to be unlocked with, with a little bit of success. Uh, You know, we have fantastic fans in the Bay area. um, And as soon as the team started winning, we felt like we had the business position to capitalize on the success as opposed to success happening and then trying to catch up
0: trying to catch so that's
1: that's really that yeah that 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 was really the focus just making sure that we had kind of a a strong foundation in place uh, a strong focus on processes uh and that we would be ready if and when the team started winning
2: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
0: Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, John Bevan, Executive Vice President of Ticket Sales and Service for the Golden State Warriors. And John, as we just discussed, the Warriors haven't always been the dynasty that a lot of people remember over the last few years. So early on in your career, you had decided to get into leadership. Why was leadership the right fit for you?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, Travis. I think, um, you know, I enjoyed being an individual contributor. Um, I enjoyed making kind of my own path and, and, and charting my own success. Um, But I loved working with others and impacting the success of the group as a whole. So it felt like a natural transition for me. I think playing team sports my entire life, um, you know, and and, and being in situations where I was uh, fortunate enough to be nominated as team captain. uh, It's just something that I've always gravitated to um, from a personality standpoint. So it felt like a logical next step for me. I really enjoyed the opportunity to try to bring the best out of others. Um, And it just felt at the time like the right step for me to take.
0: John, do you feel like some of your leadership skills and characteristics came from the time you spent early on with your father playing sports and being around sports?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, time I spent with my dad playing sports. And as you said, I think just being immersed in sports my entire life, um, you know, one of the things I look for uh, when interviewing um, new potential sales candidates is what is their sporting background. Um, those that have played team sports in high school, those that have played team sports in college, especially those that weren't at Power Five conferences in big sports. Um, it's, it's challenging. Uh, it, it, it's challenging to, to be uh, at the peak of your craft on the athletic side and do all the things that you need to, need to in school. Uh, You learn incredible time management skills. You learn how to prioritize appropriately. You learn how to work exceptionally hard. All skills that become transferable into a professional setting. So I absolutely attribute a lot of who I am as a person and a lot of the success that I've had uh, to the athletic experience and career that I had.
0: Absolutely, and you, back into your leadership, you first get into group sales leadership before transitioning into the executive director of ticketing. And many times, when leaders transition to overseeing multiple areas of the business, there can be certainly a learning curve that comes along with it. What is your advice on the best way to transition? You know, in your experience from groups to ticketing, but in in, in any transitions.
1: Yeah, I, I still remember, um, you know, so I think that the, the first answer to your question is stay humble. Um, you know, I, I remember going from individual contributor on the season ticket side, we, we basically restarted our, our group sales business. And I was fortunate enough to be put in a position uh, to oversee that group. And I quite honestly thought it was going to be pretty straightforward and easy. Uh, to sell over 100,000 tickets in a year, which those that are in the NBA, that's a big number. Yep. Um, but I, I just figured, you know, I, I had been successful at what I had done before, um, and that we would kind of figure it out and go. And and that first year was a rude awakening. <laughs> Uh, For me. So I think, you know, staying humble and understanding that you're not going to have all of the answers. Um, And so that probably goes to the second part of it. Make sure you surround yourself with good people uh, and be intellectually curious and try and learn as much as possible early. Ask questions. Make sure you understand why things happen the way they do. uh, And make sure you also understand why things are done the way they are, if perhaps they shouldn't be. Uh, Oftentimes, you know, we're a victim of our own. Failures and just continue to do things the way they've been done because that's the way they've been done. So uh, just examine every part of the business and then lean, lean on your people. You know, I think as you get into leadership, uh, it's no longer about you. Uh, it's about the people that are that are around you, and, and your success will only be possible if you put all of those that work with and for you in position to be successful. And that can be a really difficult pivot uh, when when all you've been responsible for is is yourself. So. I think I learned that in some ways the hard way uh, early on in my leadership career, but, but fortunately had the lessons, was able to navigate through them, and uh, certainly feel I'm better off because of it.
0: You know, and you mentioned early on in that, in that transition, it was a little bit of a rude awakening and in understanding that bigger picture. Why is innovation so important to you, to the organization, and, and continuing? Like just because you've done something to your point this way five years ago or even yesterday doesn't mean you always consistently do the same thing.
1: Yeah, I think innovation. Uh, and, and again, I think we're really lucky as an organization, we have visionary uh, ownership, we have visionary leadership, um, constantly looking at how we evolve as an organization. Uh, and I also think we're really fortunate in the market that we live at with proximity to Silicon Valley, where innovation is is part of the, the DNA uh, of this market. So, uh, you know, the, the world is evolving so fast. I mean, you know, you haven't been as, you know, you're much more young and spry than I am Travis, but I still remember back when I was selling tickets and it was, here's a spreadsheet uh, with a list of names. And you're just going to go down the list and make the calls and see what happens. And it's not the right way to do things. It's not the most effective. Um, it's not the, you know, there's just, there's a lot there, uh, that can be improved upon. And I think that is true for every part of our business. So as, as the world evolves, we need to adapt Uh, As other industries are trying new things, we need to pay attention uh, and see what is transferable Uh, and innovation. If you don't have an innovative mindset, if you're not pushing um, every person in your organization to think critically about what is being done and is there a better way to do it? What's the better mousetrap? um, You know, you're going to be stagnant and and ultimately be passed by. And, And I think in, in this organization in particular, uh, we encourage everyone, um, all the way up from individual contributor to the president and back down, uh, to critically evaluate what we're doing and, and to speak up um, if if someone has a better thought on, on, on a process or a way to approach things. And I do think that that's led to a lot of very positive change for us over the years.
0: Absolutely. John, in your leadership career, you and the team were putting up some incredible numbers. And I remember sitting in league meetings and continuing to hear the Warriors name over and over again for awards. And the summer of 2013, the team surpassed 14,000 season ticket holders. And then those numbers just continued to skyrocket. And so you answered this a little bit earlier. But as you think about the team currently and some of the great sales team members that have come from your organization and in general, not only just in sales, what are some of those key characteristics that continue to stand out in some of the most successful people that you've worked around and with?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the, the desire, it's not even the ability, the desire to, to outwork. Uh, th- those are around you, uh, I think it was Scott O'Neill I actually heard say working unreasonably hard. I love that saying, yeah. um, but you know, you, you, you need to be willing to put the time and effort into success. It, it doesn't happen by accident. So I think that's certainly one trait. I, I would say another trait is an eye for innovation uh, and just not necessarily challenging the status quo, uh, but questioning the status quo and, and just making sure that we all understand whether the way we collectively are doing things is the right way to do it, um, and then and then it's impact. It, it's yeah. it you know th- those that are successful are, are not just focused on what's on their job description and and doing what's right for them. It's broadening impact, doing what's right for the organization. Individual success invariably follows, um, but those that have been really successful here and I think in uh, across the industry. Uh, are those that are less concerned about personal accolades and more concerned about doing the best they can for organizational initiatives uh, and trusting that individual success will follow.
0: John, in, in the sports industry, we talk a lot about, you know, the business side needs to be running parallel with the team on the court. And you talked earlier about that you know, in your first nine years. It was just running parallel paths and waiting for that that big time on the court experience and well, the Warriors ended up winning three finals in five years, made the finals, the other two years, and you and the organization certainly capitalized and you, know, you continue to quote unquote, really have success even in the down years. And so walk the listeners through that first championship experience for you.
1: Yeah. Um, it was, it, it was candidly a little surreal. Um, so again, you know, I joined the organization in the midst of a a pretty significant playoff drought. We had a a brief flash in the plan with the We Believe run when we were the eighth seed knocked off Dallas in the 06-07 season, followed that up with um, a strong regular season, ultimately missed the playoffs on on the last, literally the last day of the season, Uh, and then took a backward slide again. So we had tasted um, the the bad side of what what this industry can be. Um, you know, and then when Joe Lake and Peter Gruber purchased the team, really put a focus on getting the best possible people for each level of the organization. Um, and, and we're fortunate enough, uh, to inherit this guy named Stephen Curry, uh, that ended up being a pretty good basketball player. Uh, So I think, yeah, he's, 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 he's had a decent career. Um, so I think he was a core piece. We add some pieces around him, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, um, but in the 14-15 season, uh, we were knocked out in the first round. We, we, lo- we lost to the Clippers. Uh, Steve Kerr became our head coach that offseason. We go into the 14-15 uh, season. Um, we're really good, um, but I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we felt like early on we were championship ready. Um, you know, We hadn't necessarily had those deep playoff runs, but as you go through the season – uh, all of a sudden, you you feel like there's some real momentum here, a real chance, and, and and we got into the playoffs. But even when we were in the NBA Finals, the whole thing felt surreal. I can remember, at our old arena over in Oakland, uh, I I was not at Game Six in Cleveland. Uh, I was watching it um, watching it in the arena in, in Oakland. We had a, a viewing party, part. and just sitting there, and all of a, yeah, and all of a sudden it, it 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 starts sinking in. We're about to win this thing. Um, and just this feeling of, of kind of disbelief and joy washing over you. Um, yeah. and, and again, you're, you're lucky in this industry if you get to win one of these things. Right. Um, and so to just go through it, experience the joy of being around everyone that we've worked so hard together with, yep. uh, to get, to get to that ultimate point, uh, was, was truly incredible. Uh, and again, it's, it's great for business too. Yep. Um, but just, you know, we felt like we all had uh, a lot of personal equity in in the ultimate success, which just makes it an indescribable feeling. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, and you go on to win two others. And and for the last one, you, you were promoted to where you're now and you oversaw the execution of the 2018 NBA championship parade. How was that experience for you?
1: Yeah, I've been, um, I've been fortunate enough in my career to be put in several situations where I don't necessarily have expertise of the subject matter. Um, quite frankly, the the last 18 months are a good example of that too, dealing, navigating all of the pandemic right. uh, protocols and kind of figuring out a path forward. But, you know, I certainly was not an event planner by, uh, by trade, but we had great, people here um that that kind of did a lot of the heavy lifting we had great partners from a consulting standpoint helping us pull everything together uh, and it was just a really cool different type of experience to, to navigate through and, and ultimately bring to life where you got over half a million people uh, cheering uh, as the buses go down we got to ride in the parade um, yeah. it's just it, it was an unbelievable feeling and it's and actually be part of the team that holds that concept mm-hmm. together Uh, and execute a day of was, was really worth
0: it. And it's certainly always a quick turnaround. You know, you always hope that you're going to win and here's the expectation, but you know, could happen in four games, seven games. And, and so a question, I always ask John the guests that they're fortunate, you know, to win a ring. You've won a couple now and there are three of them. Do you wear any of them?
1: I don't Travis. So um, they, you know, again, we are incredibly lucky here with, with Joe Lake and Peter Guber. Um, they spare no expense on the betterment of the organization. Uh, and the rings are certainly no exception to that. So they are, they're huge. <laughs> uh, so I, I wore mine. Uh, the, the first ring we won, I wore it a few times early on. And it like almost sheepishly. Uh, I mean, they're they're just they're massive. They're massive. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I, I have them tucked safely away at home. Uh, I probably shouldn't break them out more, if for no other reason, just to remind all of us. Like, uh, you know. how special this, this thing is that, that we're a part of, but uh, I am not wearing the bling on a regular basis.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with, with the Warriors, you're also able to, to go through a new building with the $1.4 billion construction and opening of the Chase Center. And, you know, as you think about that and you're going through that process, was there a time that you sat back and thought, wow, like, why am I in this meeting? Or wow, this is, I would never imagine being a part of this construction of this, you know, masterpiece.
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily know if I, I ever um, felt like I shouldn't have been a part of any of the meetings. I mean, you know, well over a billion dollars and 100% privately financed, by the way. Um, right. So we, we, we didn't ask for any taxpayer dollars as we built Chase Center. Uh, I think it was more just, um, you know, it, almost disbelief that we were building something of such incredible magnitude uh, and that I would have a chance to have an imprint on what the ultimate you know, the ultimate project would look like. So some of my suggestions and recommendations were actually taken into account uh, and built in steel um, and, and will now be a part of this building for, for forever and ever. So, you know, I think if, if you ever have a chance in this industry to go through a new building project, um, there's really nothing else like it um, because, you know, winning is really cool on, on, on the team side of things. Uh, but to bring a building to life from inception to completion on the business side is just really, really cool. Uh, so, you know, it, there, there were many pinch me moments throughout the process as we realized what we were envisioning was actually coming to life yep. uh, and to be able to see the final product and experience it and see our fans come through the, through the doors and, and huge smiles on their faces as they get to kind of soak in yep. everything that we dreamt about. Uh, is just really, really cool.
0: And John, what an amazing career and a ton of great experience you've had. And you've been called over the years a ton of times about other opportunities. And you know, what do you feel like the Warriors organization does on a consistent basis to retain top employees like yourself and others?
1: So, um, you know, I think from a, from a professional standpoint, I always want to feel like I'm being intellectually challenged. Uh, And I think that's something that I can honestly say has been the case throughout my entire career. Um, So, you know, we've we just have incredible people in their kind of vertical and in in their area of expertise across the organization. Um, And I get to be around and learn from those individuals on a daily basis. So that's been one key reason for me uh, to hang out here is just feeling like I'm intellectually challenged and that I'm constantly learning and, and, and honing and evolving my craft. I think the second thing, it's, it's really important that you believe in your work. Um, and I, I believe in I believe in this market, I believe in what we're trying to accomplish. I believe in the vision that we have that we set forward. Uh, as I just mentioned, got to be part of bringing this incredible venue that I'm now sitting into life uh, from inception. Um, and honestly feel like the best yet to come. I think we are poised to continue doing things to amplify our brand in ways that will allow us to continue to grow our business in meaningful ways. That's really cool. Um, so I think I've always believed in the work that I'm doing here. Uh, and then you always want to feel like you've got a bright future. Uh, and as I just alluded to, there, there have been a lot of reasons as we've sat there over the years looking ahead to feel like the future is bright. That's come to fruition uh, and now feels no differently. I think, you know, a lot of people view Chase Center as the finish line. I think, again, Joe and Peter and in their Infinite Wisdom uh, view it as the starting line. Um, you know, Joe has a, this incredible thing that I love. Um, it's Disney started with a theme park. Um, so, you know, Disney's core business is their theme park. Now look at what their business yeah. is. Yeah. I think he and we have similar aspirations here. So um, if there were ever a time I didn't feel intellectually challenged, I didn't feel like we had a bright future uh, and I didn't feel like our work mattered. Um, I might get more serious about some of the opportunities that, that that present themselves over the years, but I've just felt really fortunate to be in an incredible position here yeah. um, and hope that will continue to be the case for many years to
0: come. Right around great people continue to be challenged and you you've certainly had a great career. As you look back on it, what's been your best memory?
1: There's been a lot of them. Um, I think on, on the team side, you know, we've just had incredible things happen. Clay's 37 point quarter. um, You know, Steph will be approaching the three point record this year, certainly winning the championship, but number one's got to be um, for me, at least the first, public event we had at Chase Center. So we had Metallica and the San Francisco Symphony in a special show to our inaugural uh, concert at Chase Center. Uh, And I just, I vividly remember standing in a suite, looking down, fans pouring in, lights getting ready to turn down, just feeling this incredible sense of accomplishment, um, that this was something that we had collectively accomplished and that it was actually happening. Uh, Cause there were many times over the Chame years together. where you just feel like it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And, and, and it ended up, ended up getting across the finish line. So that, that will always be something I treasure uh, because of the sweat equity that went into getting us to that point. Uh, and just a really, really cool name.
0: That's awesome. Well, John, ton of great advice. Always fun to hear about your journey, both personally and professionally. So to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this.
1: Bring it to me, Travis.
0: All right. If you could have any actor play you in a movie about your life, who would it be?
1: Oh, boy. So I think I'm going to answer this because in before I got old looking, uh, told there was a passing resemblance and also because I'm a big Mad Men fan, uh, John Hamm.
0: All right. Nice. What is a clothing style trend that you would love to bring back?
1: So if you were to ask any of my friends um, what my level of fashion sense is, they would probably laugh at you. So <laughs> I, I, I am not a fashionista. Uh, I actually love the last 18 months of the pandemic, being able to wear uh, my, my sweats almost every day. <laughs> um, so I honestly don't have a great answer for you though. I love the fact that we are transitioning away from ties. I know that's going to break your heart.
0: Yeah, it's um, going to hurt me. My
1: ties are just, they are... Uh, they're, 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 they're tough. So I, I enjoy our freedom from tie wearing. How about that? (laughs) All
0: right. There you go. If you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be?
1: That's a great question. Uh, alive or anyone?
0: Yeah. It could be alive or passed away.
1: So I would say, uh, I'll cheat a little bit and give you two. Um, if I was looking for an intellectually stimulating, motivating dinner, uh, probably Jackie Robinson. I uh, would just love to get his yeah. his perspective on on his life and journey. Uh, and if I was just looking for uh, sheer entertainment, uh, it would have to be Don Nelson, uh, former coach of, of the Golden State Warriors. He had a very colorful life. I've heard
0: some of his stories and would love to hear a lot more Just a lot more. Well, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know the the desire and willingness to to work hard. Um, Again, I I I love what Scott said. I heard it somewhere, but working unreasonably hard, I think that's exactly right. Uh, You need you need to be willing and able to do what it takes to get the job done, Uh, and and that's a control. So I I think working unreasonably hard is one. Uh, Number two, I would say you know focus on the details and be prepared. Um, Oftentimes we You know, it's easy to just kind of wing it through life, but those that are really successful are very detail oriented, no details too small. uh, And it takes a lot of time and energy uh, to really kind of think through all the details, but they do matter. And then being prepared. Uh, Every interaction that you have is a chance to to either enhance or diminish your brand. Uh, And the more preparation you put into things, the better served you're going to be. Uh, And then last, I would say, um, you know, it's it's doing what's right for the organization. Let that be your guiding focus. Don't get caught up in whether something that you do will be personally beneficial. Uh, Individual success will follow if you're doing what's right on behalf of the organization on a consistent basis. Um, So I think sometimes we get too caught up in in. Will this be uh, will this be a positive for me instead of to be a positive for we yep. um, and really, really let the overall um, the overall benefit be your guiding light. And if you do that on a consistent basis, individual success will follow.
0: No, I love it. And, you know, a lot of this podcast, we talked about the control and controlling what you can and you're working hard. You're focused on the details. You're preparing to have success. And and I love it. You know, focus on the we and not the me and and do really what's best for the organization and the people. And John, thank you so much. You've certainly had a great career. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate your time, expertise, and our friendship.
1: Likewise, Travis. Appreciate the time. I think what you're doing here is great. I wish I had had this resources as as I was a young salesperson. So you're doing fantastic work.
0: I appreciate that. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week.
2: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently.